Chantal Rochelle. He is Isaac Fitzgerald. And you are watching Monday, AM to DM. It's Monday, y'all. It is Monday. Yes. Did you celebrate this weekend? A lot I, of stuff going on this weekend. I sure did celebrate this weekend. I had oh. a very eventful weekend. I went to church, praise the Lord. I All right. Easter potluck, which I normally don't do because I don't usually eat other people's food. But I must say, I'm here. I'm well. It worked. Nothing got me. I'm good. It was really good. It was a good potluck. What was the best food there? I will say it was mine. Not going to mine a horn, but I did what I had to do. I made deviled eggs. Put a little, you know, I did. Ooh, I was really good. It was I like deviled eggs. There was a good pasta salad that was there, so it was good. It was, it was really a good, good potluck. All right, yeah, th but there was a lot. There was Passover, there was Easter, there was 420, Game of Thrones was last night. There was just a lot going on this weekend. I had a raccoon show up in my house. Did you? It was gorgeous, and I loved him, and I wanted to invite him inside and make him my friend. I don't know if this is like an Easter bunny thing or an Elijah thing, but this little visitor came by. Alice okay. said no. My fiance was okay. like, do not. She was like, absolutely not. It came right up to the door. I was like, all I have to do is you open it. You were ready to name it, weren't you? It could have been incredible. You were going to name it. I was I definitely yeah. going to name it. We could have gone on adventures together. But no, I left the raccoon outside. There's a lot going on. There was also Coachella this weekend. Yes. You had weekend. Kanye and friends on the mount, basically. Yeah, on a mountain. It, yeah. it felt like there was some Teletubbies oh, vibe yeah. going on. Yeah, it was definitely Teletubbies. How'd you feel? Better. How'd you feel? I thought it was ridiculous. It was a bit much as a church-going person. I thought he was doing the most, and I wasn't the only one who agreed with that. Yeah. After Natasha Rothwell spoke from Minnie when she tweeted, Yeah, no. I refuse to support a man who proudly supports a racist, homophobic, xenophobic, mm. transphobic, mm. Islamophobic, anti-Semitic president whose policies endanger the very people who subsidize his career just because he's selling redemption dress up in church clothes. Mm, Amen. Mm. Also, speaking of church clothes, he was also selling, yes, clothes, he was selling clothes for like $500, $300 a pop. And $50 socks. I'm sorry, say that again? $50 socks. $50 yes. socks? Yeah, and just in case you know you need that Holy Ghost with your toes, he's selling Is it like socks. at least two pair? It's, it's just one pair. I will say this, though. I mean, listen, first off, a lot of churches make a lot of money. They all do. right, there's that. But they give you fish fry and food after church. They give you a communion, <laughs> they give you a little wine, they give you a little crumpets and there's tea. Like some at least donuts. they feed you, okay? <laughs> there, there's donuts. Fair enough. But right? he, he had like Chance the Rapper there. It yeah. was kind of an Donna impressive Taylor. gathering. Yeah. Um, but all right, that's that's it was like I was saying a lot this weekend. So let's take it to the timeline. A lot going on. Passover, Easter, 420. Did you celebrate 420? You know, I may or may not have Isaac. Oh, but we're what gonna... matters is I went to church on Sunday. We're not gonna... God <laughs> met me where <laughs> I was. To church okay? on... We're not gonna tell on ourselves. 420. Today's Earth Day. Game of Thrones was last night. So how did you celebrate this weekend? Let us know using the hashtag AM2. I basically just chilled and wished I had that raccoon. Yeah, yeah. Let's just yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was some devastating news out of Sri Lanka over the weekend. Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News. All social media has been blocked in Sri Lanka to avoid the spread of false news reports in light of the bombings. According to the Sri Lankan government news portal. Yeah, it was devastating. BuzzFeed News reporter Jane Litvinenko joins us now. Good morning, Jane. Good morning, guys. Okay, so what's the latest on this? I was following this story over the weekend. Uh, what's the latest news out of Sri Lanka? So the latest news is that we have about 290 people now confirmed dead and about 500 that are injured. And this was after eight blasts uh, blew through the capital, Colombo, which is really the largest city on the island. Uh, so first there were three blasts that targeted churches and three more that targeted five-star hotels simultaneously. And then two more blasts on the outskirts of town hours later. Uh, so for a total of eight, um, we're still investigating, um, not we're so, the authorities are still investigating of uh, who the perpetrators could be and the situation is still unfolding. 
Mm. Wow. So can you tell us a bit more about the social media ban? Because the Sri Lankan government put it into effect. Is it still in effect? Do we know what the latest on that is? Yeah, absolutely. So as of two hours ago, the uh, nonprofit Netblock, which monitors social media blocking all over the world, tweeted that the ban is still in effect. And not only is the entirety of social media banned, uh, including apps like Viber and WhatsApp um, that really help people get in touch with their loved ones, with their relatives, but a VPN called Tunnel Bear was also blocked in the country. So that's over 24 hours of social media being down. Okay, and I saw a lot of conversation about this aspect of it because I totally understand. Of course, we talked to you, Jane, about fake news and how it spreads on social media here all the time. But I also saw people that said this was a little bit worrisome to see a government shutting this down. So can you just tell us a little bit more about like the pros and cons to this approach? Yeah, absolutely. So the... Shutdown of social media itself is not really being viewed as a good thing by academics and by activists. And that's because it, first of all, really hinders any communications that families need to get in touch with each other, to see if they're okay. Um, But the other thing is that there's actually no evidence that a social media ban really works when it comes to disinformation. Uh, So we don't know if people are circumventing the ban as they did last year when Sri Lanka uh, shut down uh, social media. But overall, the Sri Lankan government does have a history of media control. And so people there are weary when it comes to a ban like this. But of course, on the other hand, social media companies, as we know, haven't been particularly good in thwarting disinformation and trying to keep that hate in check on their platforms. And that's in the English language. So when it comes to trying to police that in developing countries, they really have a big challenge in front of them. Wow. So it seems like the Sri Lankan people are really coming together in this time of need. We're hearing reports of people donating blood. How are the people of Sri Lanka responding to this event? Yeah, absolutely. There's been an outpouring of support. Uh, You mentioned the blood donations, and that was in the early hours, right after the blasts. You could see all these photos of people lining up in the hundreds, sort of just trying to give their blood, uh, trying to do something to help these victims. And all around the world, there have been vigils for those whose lives have been lost. People are really, really coming together. And the authorities in Sri Lanka are really calling for a unity and for, uh, for, for calm in the face of this tragedy. Uh, so we're hoping that that's, that's how things will remain. Yeah, absolutely. And one last question. I I saw, you know, basically the Sri Lankan government said that they missed a few warnings. Do we know what those warnings were, uh, what the miss, how it happened? And do we have any idea who they're thinking is responsible? So we don't yet know who they're thinking is responsible. So we need to be really careful with what we see online on that front. But it is true that the Sri Lankan government missed uh, three warnings in total about the events of uh, yesterday. And uh, those warnings came from intelligence agencies, including uh, international ones, from what I understand. They don't really know why that was missed as of yet, but uh, there is an ongoing investigation to figure out what happened. And many officials, including the prime minister of the country, has apologized for missing these warnings. All right. Well, Jane, as always, thank you so much for your reporting and your clarity. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Let's now go live from the district with BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill reporter, Paul McLeod. 
Good morning, Paul. Hey, good morning and happy Easter Monday, which in Canada is a day off for a lot of people. So if we all live in Canada, we wouldn't have to be here right now. Well, yada, yeah. yada, oh, Canada's better, blah, Canada. blah, blah. In America, we like Jeez. to do a thing called work. Yes, we're out it's here grinding. That's, okay. look, thank you, yes. thank you. Actually, the first the first year that Emma Loop uh, moved to America, she just did not show up on her first Easter Monday because <laughs> she assumed it was a day off and found out the hard way it was not. <laughs> okay, but there, oh, are, there are a lot of people putting in work this morning. Yeah, absolutely, and speaking of, someone else is. So here's a tweet from Senator Elizabeth Warren, who's mm. putting a lot of work these days. The severity of this misconduct, mm. misconduct demands that elected officials in both parties set aside political considerations and do their constitutional duty. That means the House should initiate impeachment proceedings against the President of the United States. And Paul, you tweeted somewhere Nancy Pelosi just threw her phone against a wall. So Paul, does Warren talking impeachment mean anything for the actual proceedings? No, it doesn't mean anything for the actual proceedings. She is a senator. Uh, impeachment proceedings are started by the House. The way it essentially works is that the House would have to, you would have a trial and they would vote to impeach a president and then that would get kicked to the Senate, which would have to confirm that ruling. So she, if she were ever to be involved, would be on the back half of that. This is purely symbolic and it is interesting. I don't know if uh, this is going to lead to more people calling for this, but Elizabeth Warren getting out in front, becoming the first presidential candidate to call for impeachment uh, makes sense. I mean, I could see it just on Twitter on uh, Friday, I, I believe it was when I guess you made the announcement, that uh, there is a lot of energy out there of people who are demanding impeachment proceedings, even if they, I think on some level, know it doesn't have a hope of succeeding with Republicans in the Senate. Uh, anyone who dared to say, well, let's, this isn't worth uh, taking up, got an earful on Twitter. Yeah, wow, it's a lot going on here. Now, there is a conference call today with Nancy Pelosi and the House Dems. Do we think impe impeachment will be brought up there? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, you have to remember, has a bit of a different uh, priority than Elizabeth Warren or any of the other presidential candidates who are trying to win a primary. Nancy Pelosi is trying to win and protect seats in Montana, in Ohio, in places that are less overwhelmingly progressive than the Democratic primaries. And if you make a lot of noise about impeachment, you are going to have Republicans firing back at you, saying that you are trying to steal an election to unfairly uh, take out Donald Trump. It's something that clearly House Democratic leadership does not want to touch. Actually, it's kind of funny. I, recently, I was talking to Elijah Cummings, who's the head of the Oversight Committee, and he actually brought this up. I hadn't even asked him about it. I was asking about something else, and uh, he, he went on about impeachment for a moment. Just like, and we have never once brought up impeachment. We're not talking about impeachment here. And I'm just thinking to myself, oh, okay, wasn't, wasn't even what I was asking you about. So mm -hmm. they clearly want no part of this. They just want to move on and fight the battle in 2020. In 2020. Let's talk about that, though. And again, all eyes this weekend actually on Elizabeth Warren. It seems like she had a pretty good weekend, starting with this call for impeachment. But ending with, I would say, this morning, what do you make of that student loan announcement, Paul? Uh, it was interesting. I mean, so the plan, I think, would cost something like $1.25 trillion. It's to take on the mammoth amount of student debt that is out there in America right now. If you're making under $100,000, you could have 50, up to $50,000 of debt forgiven. It actually stretches all the way up to making $250,000 a year, where you'd have the more money you make, a smaller amount of debt forgiveness you would qualify for. She would also uh, open up tuition 
uh, in publicly funded schools, to making it free. That's actually kind of a controversial idea on progressive circles. Some people say broad programs like that need to be means tested so that the children of millionaire aren't getting, millionaires aren't getting free tuition. But anyway, that's a, a fight for a different day. Once again, Elizabeth Warren is showing that she is trying to define her, her candidacy here with policy. She's consistently pumped out these rather detailed uh, and intricate po- policy uh, announcements. And it seems like this is what her pitch is going to be. I am the policy wonk who knows how to fix America. I mean, canceling student debt seems like a dream. I would love for that to happen. It seems pretty ambitious, and you mentioned people talking about it already. Is this something that she can actually pull off? I mean, it's going to be tough. There's, what, 20 or so people in a crowded field here. Elizabeth Warren, of course, coming out of the gate, uh, stumbling a bit because of the whole controversy around uh, apparently claiming to have had Native American ancestry. So now she's clearly trying to wipe that reputation clean and and start over and rebrand herself, which uh, in fairness, she, I mean, she, this has long been who she is, and but she's been, been defined by that other controversy. So she's trying to get back to the roots of what her career was before as a senator, what her work has been as a senator. Uh, I mean, uh, who's to say? It, it, honestly, people ask me who is going to win in this uh, upcoming primary. I have no idea. You could see it flipping any one of 20 ways. It really can go any direction at this point. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Paul. All right, thanks, guys. Have a good one. And uh, Jen just real quick tweeted, Paul's beard is a very nice length currently. Yes. Jen, I will try not to take that personally. Yes, it looks really, really good. Well. <laughs> Matching up to you, Isaac. <laughs> All right, y'all. Up next, it's Fire Tweets. Stay tuned. Welcome back. We're going to get into these fire tweets. Mm-hmm. Sarah Lazarus, you tweeted, Imagine baking fucked up bread once when you're in a huge rush, and centuries later, your descendants are still gathering once a year to discuss how fucked that bread was. Damn. A little Passover humor yeah. there for you. Really yeah. enjoyed That said, I feel like you put butter on yeah, it. Yeah, a little margarine. It more, it's, it's, it'll make it work. It, it works out. Right? Absolutely. Next step. Sweet Cicely, you tweeted. One day, each of us burned a CD for the last time, but we didn't know it was the last time. Damn, RIP LimeWire. That blows my mind. It, it hurts, honestly. Do you think, what do you think the last, like just, I know you don't actually know, but take a guess. What do you think the last CD you actually burned was? Oh, she knows. It was Destiny's Child Fulfilled because I didn't couldn't find mine, so I did what I had to do. I needed <laughs> my DC on that track in my car. That was it. I'm gonna, it. I'm gonna call an audible. Let's know the last one CD you think you burned using the hashtag aim to DM. I think for me it would be something real embarrassing like Blink-182. Ah. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Siobhan, you tweeted, Hi, I'm a landlord who doesn't live in your building. I put the smoke alarm directly above the stove. Mmm! Oh, feel this in your soul? I feel it in my spirit and my soul. <laughs> just oh, every time. Yeah, gonna... Every time I have to fan it, you know, it's just too much. I feel Jeez. bad saying this because fire safety is very important, but do you ever, I just have the battery out. Do you? Yeah, do, do you put it okay. back in? You know what, I keep it in because I love life. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm yeah, sorry, I yeah. shouldn't admit that. <laughs> all right, you want well, to tweet right, the day? tweet of the day, let's do it. <laughs> all right, y'all, tweet of the day comes from Gabriella. <laughs> Me sending an email. Hello! <laughs> Thanks! All the best! Thank you so much! 
I think something. I just ruptured something. Yeah. <laughs> but it's okay because that email went through, Isaac. They received it. Do you do a lot of explanations? No, no, I don't do that. I used to, at like 2021, because I want them to see how eager I was. Uh-huh. Now, today, I'm just like, you'd be lucky if you get one, okay? You're like a grown woman. Grown woman with hello. Period. Yeah. Yeah. But you I put a little, I put a gif in it to. Okay, you'll do like a little gif in there. I'm still that. You I will not, I like that you, you just dunked 15, on me really hard. Yeah, 15, I, I'm still maybe. just like, hope this person knows oh, I'm happy. Like, what are you eating for lunch? <laughs> okay. 30 exclamation. <laughs> Listen, coming up, you're going to get to see Chantal <laughs> sit down with Boris Kojo. But ex- up next, we are going live from the district. There's a very special guest. Welcome back. I'm joined by BuzzFeed News Editor-in-Chief Ben Smith. And with us this morning is newly announced presidential candidate, Massachusetts Congressman Seth Moulton. Good morning. How are it's you? It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So happy to have you. And c- congratulations on Thank the you. announcement this morning. Thank you. Um, we're psyched to be part of it. The, and I, I tweeted this morning while you were on GMA, um, you know, Congressman Moulton's coming on. What questions do you have for him? And the questions mostly ran to who is this guy and Fair why enough. and things like that. And yeah. I think it was partly that I think like kind of activist Twitter may not exactly be your base. And I wonder not if exactly that worries you, if you care. No, not at all. Um, because I've been out there connecting with voters. And we start with students on college campuses and veterans across the country. And we're talking about issues that matter to folks on the ground. And that's what this is going to build this campaign. It's going to be a grassroots campaign. Um, you know, we're starting small, but we're going to be building over time. And at the end of the day, I think people will see me as a good nominee to take on Donald Trump. And that's what we got to do in this election. Mm-hmm. You know, one, one voter who told me, and I think has said publicly, that he thinks you're a good candidate to take on Donald Trump is um, Steve Bannon, <laughs> who uh, has kind of been focused on you for Steve, a long but- <laughs> time. Um, Trump's, you know, kind of far-right former advisor. And I wonder what you make of that in particular. I don't know, because I've never talked to Steve. Um, but, um, but I do know that I'm talking about issues that other candidates aren't talking about in this election. Uh, I'm very proud to, to say I love this country. I'm a patriot. This country is not perfect, but we've got to serve to make it better. Uh, I'm someone who's very proud of my service in the Marines, even though I was in Iraq, a war I disagreed with. Every single day, my work impacted the lives of other people. And, and I missed that when I got back, and that's why I ran for Congress, uh, to try to serve again and to try to make sure that what got us into Iraq doesn't happen again. And fundamentally, serving the country is why I'm taking on the most divisive president in American history, because we've got to defeat Donald Trump to bring this country back together. I think your service, the fact that you served, you, you, know, you were very heroically served— I mean, is that something you want to stand up on stage and contrast with Donald Trump and his bone spurs? I would love to. <laughs> I think that'd be tremendous. Um, the point is that we're not calling Trump out on some of the places where he's weakest, on national security issues, on security issues in general, uh, on foreign policy. We used to be a moral leader in the world, and he's completely shredded our moral authority. Uh, we need to call him out on what really, what patriotism is really about. And too often, I think Democrats cede these issues, these strength and security issues to Republicans. We've got to reclaim them. We've got to show how Democrats are going to lead on security, on strength, on patriotism, and on service to this country. Yeah, oh, shifting gears here a bit. Some of our producers here think you look like the actor Bill Pullman from the 1996 classic Independence Day. So you're a fan of the future of warfare. So we have to ask, if you were president during an alien invasion, what would your strategy be? Tough question. Um, <laughs> so I would not build a wall between here and Mars. Okay. I would not do that. Uh, no, you got to start. I mean, this is a serious answer. you got to start with diplomacy. 
you always have to start with diplomacy. I mean, General Mattis, when he was General Mattis, not Secretary Mattis, was my division commander. And he, and he said, you know, look, if you cut the State Department budget, you got to buy me more bullets. So what I would do with this alien is I'd give him a classic American meal. I'd serve a beer and a burger. And then if the meeting goes well, that, that's all good. If the meeting starts to not go so well, I'd say, um, by the way, that burger, those are the last aliens who visited. <laughs> So no leftovers, you just be like, this is mine, this is mine. Uh, 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 yeah, on a more, uh, you know, who knows what's serious, but uh, in this unpredictable age. But um, one of the threats you talk a lot about is cyber. What did you learn from the Mueller report about how the U.S. ought to be responding to cyber threats? Well, first of all, I learned that the unmistakable conclusion of this report is that Russia wanted Trump to get elected president. And every American, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, a supporter of of Trump or his arch enemy, we ought to know why the only country on earth that can literally wipe out all earth, all life here in America, would want Trump to be elected president. Because Republican Democratic presidents over the decades have always stood up to the threat of Russia, have always stood up to that threat, and yet they want Trump to be elected. And we got to understand that. That's the fundamental national security issue that shouldn't be a partisan issue. Um, I went to Eastern Europe to see what, uh, as a member of the Armed Services Committee, to see what Russia was doing to some of our Eastern European allies, the way that they were conducting hybrid warfare and interfering in politics and elections and things. And this was back in 2015. I admit, even then, I was shocked by what they were doing, and I didn't expect them to do it here in America. So Russia has gone really far, and we've done very little to stop them. Yeah, definitely. And here this morning, Elizabeth Warren introduced a policy proposal to cancel student loan debt for 42 million Americans and make all public colleges and universities tuition free. Would you support a policy like that? I think it's a wonderful goal. Um, I've been a member of Congress paying my college loans for, for years now. But I would start someplace different. I would start by making sure that every American kid actually gets through high school and has an opportunity to go to vocational school because we've got to make sure kids are prepared for the jobs of the future. And free college is wonderful for everybody who gets there, and that's, and that's an admirable goal. But right now, a quarter of Americans don't even think about college because they're not even graduating from high school. And my goal is to prepare Americans for the, for the workforce of the future. That means we got to rethink our education system. We created today's education system in response to the Industrial Revolution. It's time we created a new education system in response to the automated revolution that's changing jobs. I think that starts with opportunities in vocational education. We literally have lines out the door to the vocational schools in my district. We've got to show kids that they can get great jobs and that we'll respect that kind of work. And then we can talk about free college. On a, on a political front, you um, have had your issues with Nancy Pelosi, campaigned to get her out of the speakership. But um, before that, you, I think, probably got on a lot of people's bad side in Congress by running against an incumbent and beating him. The, um, this year, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Pressley did the same. And, mm -hmm. and the Democrats are now trying to crack down on consultants who help <laughs> candidates like the three of you and others. Yeah. What do you say to that? What do you think Pelosi is doing there? Well, I've already said that I think it's wrong because we need to allow everybody um, to, to be a part of this debate. And frankly, Americans want people who are willing to challenge the establishment. And the debate that we had about the top three leadership positions, of which Pelosi is one of them, it gave rise to the climate change subcommittee. It gave rise to the uh, voting rights subcommittee. None of those would be in existence without that debate. And it, and it got us to a compromise that got her the votes she needed to be speaker and us in a, a deal on term limits, which ultimately will mean this amazingly new, diverse class of lawmakers, the most 
historically diverse class ever will actually have the voice in the future of our politics. So I give Speaker Pelosi great credit for the way she's standing up to Trump, and we need that. But we also need leaders that folks will look to across America and say, that's the future of our party, that's the future of our country. A uh, final question in some ways on that front. You're running, you have a six-month-old baby running yeah. for president with a six-month-old baby. How, how are you going to balance that? It's hard. Honestly, um, and I haven't seen her since yesterday afternoon. I miss her already, um, but I want her to grow up in a better world, and I don't want her to grow up in the world that's run by people like Donald Trump. So I think if there is something that I can do to help prevent that, to help change our country for the better, then that's what I should do. And uh, although she can't really give me advice at six months, I'd like to think that, um, that she's proud of me for trying. Right. Congressman, congratulations on your newborn baby. Thank you Thank so much you. for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, y'all. Up next, you get to see my conversation with Boris Kojo. I'm Chantal Rochelle, head of BuzzFeed's Cocoa Butter, and I'm here with actor Boris Kojo. Cocoa who plays Butter. Captain Robert Sullivan on Station 19. Hi, that's right, Cocoa Chant Butter. Use it right. Is it Chantal or Chantal? Chantal. But Chantal. if it's you know what's up. Bah, Chantal. Tall, tall, yeah. Bonjour, Chantal. Yeah, thank you so Ça much. Va? Yes, so good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So on May 2nd, Station 19 and Grey's Anatomy will have their latest crossover. Is there anything you can tell us about what to expect from this? Because well, we are waiting, anticipating this moment. Yes. Uh, as you know from last episode, last week, there was a huge fire in a coffee factory. And um, uh, Chief Ripley went down. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he is actually the one who is going to end up at uh, um, Gray's Memorial. Okay. And he's going to be the one that we're going to be fighting for. And uh, fingers crossed that... Uh, He's going to make it. Yes, that's prayers out for him. Okay, yes. so you've mentioned that you're a huge fan of Shonda Rhimes. And yes, has I it am. been like being a part of Shondaland and being on set? Have you been starstruck yet at all? I've been starstruck for 15 years. Have I mean, you? she's such a trailblazer. I mean, she's changed the game. She has uh, really um, completely innovated how TV is watched. And, and uh, the fact that she has inserted a healthy dose of diversity into everyday um, tent poles is, is, uh, is to be credited for what TV is like today. Uh -huh. um, and Station 19 has been a great experience for me to be a part of her family. Stacy McKee, who created the show, um, is an amazingly um, creative writer, um, showrunner who's done an amazing job to tell these stories, and I'm excited about next season. Yes, same. And speaking of queens, you are married to the beautiful, amazing- To the queen! Nicole Ari Parker. That's right. All hail. I mean, you guys have just been together for such a long time. Since 2005, you met on the set of Soul Food. Your example of love is just so beautiful to watch. So wow, thank you. Tell me, what is the secret to everlasting black love? Because Whoa. we and the rest of the world would like to know. That's a lot this of pressure. Let's take it. Joy. Let's take it day by day. Yes. Okay. Um, that's the that's the first thing. I think that you know uh, you have to treat um, marriage or a relationship um, like anything else we want to be successful in. Mm -hmm. You got to put in work every single day. You got to water the flower every single day. Love is. Um, is an action, yeah. right? It's, it's, it's not an emotion, it's an action. And uh, you have to show me. Don't tell me, show me. Mm. And we show each other every day. And, and um, 
also, we're not afraid to go through the fire. And you two have two beautiful children. And I follow your wife on Instagram. And she recently posted this adorable video of three of them dancing. What's it like <laughs> yeah. being in a family of oh. such big personalities? I'm sure y'all have like dance-offs, all of that. What we do. Like? We do. Well, this is what we do. You know, we spend time together, especially at night. We, we always have dinner together. We cook and we talk and my kids don't have phones. Okay. Oh, they don't? So, no. They don't have any of the social media stuff. Okay. Um, which turns out to be quite um, healthy. Yeah, I'm going to have to take a page out of your book because social media can be a lot. So that's definitely a good Oh, you got to manage it. Otherwise, yeah. if you become a victim of, of, of those, you know, the barrage of insults and all that detrimental stuff that's out there and, and aggressive and, and obnoxious stuff that's in there, it's yeah. going to end up in your, in, your, in your brain. Yeah, absolutely. So we just had Serena Williams on the couch. She was just on the show. And she is your little sis. sister, your yeah. close friend. And you two actually play tennis together. Yeah, a bunch. And people, many people don't know that you actually went to college on a tennis scholarship. Yes. So is there any like little parenting advice or things that you guys exchange on the court? Of course. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, now that she's a mom, We've had numerous conversations about, you know, raising kids, how challenging it is. And for someone like Serena, who is, um, she's such a, such a renaissance woman. Mm -hmm. you know, she's such a, an icon, a role model for, for, for people, uh, not just girls, but for people uh, across the globe. Um, she has so much going on. And for her to be this amazingly loving, attentive, um, present uh, uh, mother to Olympia is, I'm so proud of her. Uh, she's done such an amazing job and I think this is just the beginning for her. So Absolutely. I don't think she's scratched the surface yet. Okay, I can't wait till you and Olympia play a little tennis. That would be amazing. <laughs> I, I'm going to be curious to see how she's going to handle that because it's pretty tough um, for a little girl to uh, to step into those footsteps. Yeah, huge shoes indeed. So this past New Year's Eve over the holiday, you brought a bunch of black celebrities and public figures to Ghana, which I hear hold near and dear to my heart. I actually had the honor of living in Ghana in 2012 to study wow, there. And so I, I truly, truly cherish it. And so I'm really curious, what made you want to bring black celebrities and people to Africa and expose them to the beautiful country of Ghana? You know, it's, it's very simple. I'm, I mean, Ghana is, that's family. My father's from there. And um, we spent a lot of time there as kids. Um, so I love, I love Accra. I love Ghana. I love the Ghanaian people. Um, I wanted to change the narrative around Africa. Mm -hmm. um, and the president, um, His Excellency Nana Kufuado, asked me, and um, Bozema St. John, who's mm -hmm. from Ghana as well, the amazing, amazing Bozema St. John, to host a homecoming event. So we put this together. Um, we coined it Full Circle Festival because this marks um, the year of return. Yes. 2019 is officially the year of return, and it's the decade of the return, basically. Uh, commemorating 400 years of um, the beginning of the slave trade. Mm -hmm. And uh, so so I wanted to change the narrative uh, around Africa uh, and sort of balance all this uh, negativity that's, that's, that has been traditionally associated with the continent, like wars, uh, famine, mass exodus to Europe, um, and show the vibrancy and the 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 diversity, the the cultural richness of the continent, especially Ghana. So um, we are, in essence, descendants of survivors. Yeah, absolutely. And and we need to celebrate that mm -hmm. uh, rather than uh, you know fall prey to these 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 negative uh, uh, 
images and 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 stories um, that sort of coin us as people without a past, without ancestry, without heritage. We have the richest mm-hmm. heritage on the planet. Yeah, you know, uh, life as we know it started in Africa. It sure did. I think it's just so beautiful that you took so many people there to really expose them to that. It just, it was so beautiful to see, so thank you for We want to bring everybody. Absolutely. Everyone go to Ghana, go to Africa. Full Circle Festival. Yes, absolutely. So before we go, you posted a 20-year challenge, not a 10-year challenge, a 20-year challenge photo on Instagram. Yeah, that was funny. I was just like, how? I I couldn't find a picture that was 10 years ago. Yeah, you want to flex, though. You want to flex a little bit. Oh, there was no no flexing. No wrinkles in sight. I couldn't see anything. But you're not the only one who's out here ageless. Okay. So I want to play a little game with you. Okay. I'm going to show you two pictures of your former co-stars. And you're going to tell me either, either the left or the right photo is the oldest. So I'm going to show you all your oh, wow. stars. Okay. And you, let's see if you can put the skills to the test. Are you all ready? Right. I'm ready. All right. First up, we have Melinda Williams. Oh, Melinda doesn't age. Yeah, she doesn't Which age. Folder, photo? Which is photo is older? Yes. This is very, very difficult. It, this is a complete just left or right? shot in Which the dark. One? I mean, left is older. Yes, you got it right. Okay. All right. Next up, Tay Diggs. <laughs> Which one? Left or well, right? Well, clearly it's right because he hasn't, <laughs> yes. he hasn't had hair right. in 30 years. <laughs> no hair. No hair in sight. <laughs> All right, next up. That's former funny. co-star, Sonali, uh, who's just here on the couch. Uh, my boo. Um, left or right? I mean, she's flawless. Come on. Uh, left is all. Yes, you're on a roll. You have I'm no difference. Okay. I'm next up, Derek Luke. Left or right? It's tough, too. Um... I think the right is older. Yes, you are on a roll. Well, you know he's he's wearing the the, yeah, the lapels it, it, outside, know. so I'm just <laughs> I'm just tr- tr- trying to fish for information here. Next up, Lynn Whitfield, Queen. Queen Lynn. Uh, right is older. Ah, uh, no. Oh no! Left. The left is older. Oh. <laughs> Almost had it. Oh, she's flawless. Yes, flawless queen. All right, Blair Underwood, Blair. left or right? Which one's older? Um. Right is, left is older. Yes, left correct. Is older, yeah. All right, next one. Nicolari Parker, which one is older? Well, I can't. Oh, well, I know <laughs> that right is older because I remember the outfit and when that was. Yes, yes. absolutely. Great job. Not bad. Awesome job. Not High bad. five well, it. Thank you so much for coming and staying with us on the couch. Thank today. you. That was a lot of fun. I yes, appreciate I'm it. happy to have you. Chantal. Right. Yes. Exactly. Thank you. All right, y'all. New episodes of Station 19 air Thursday nights on ABC. Up next, Ray in the DM. Welcome back. Here's a tweet from Electric Literature. Now, Mwali Serpel's The Old Drift is the Zam- Z- I'm sorry, Zambian novel we never knew we needed, but definitely don't have enough of. I'm here with Namwali Serpel, author of The Old Drift, which is absolutely incredible. <laughs> Thank good morning. You so How much. are you? I am good. How are you? I'm doing very well. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, now listen, it is it is like not hyperbole <laughs> to say that The Old Drift is like epic, like multi-generational epic in every sense of the world. Mm. For the Twitter audience, yes. 280 characters, how would you describe it? 
The great Zambian novel you didn't know you were waiting for. That was, <laughs> you were like electric lit nailed it. Well, I've been calling it that since like the year 2000 when I was in college. Uh-huh. It was a running joke with me and my friends. It's like, oh, you're writing the great Zambian novel that you didn't know you were waiting for. <laughs> so that is, that is it. Yeah. Have you been writing it since, like since that long? Yeah, I've been, so I've been writing the book since my senior year of college. Uh-huh. Off and on, I wrote about a scattered third of it over the course of 15 years. Mm-hmm. And then I finished the last, the remaining two thirds of it in about a year and a half. Wow. So two very different origin stories, right? Really slow, really fast. Absolutely. Like Re- Twitter. Really, really <laughs> slow and then really fast. Did you always know it was going to be multi-generational? That it was going to yeah. like, it kind of starts as historical fiction. And then by the end, it's like science fiction. Yeah. Did you know it was going to span all of this? I knew that it was going to be multi-generational because the first three characters that came to me were a grandmother, her daughter, and a son, right? A grandson. And so I knew that they were going to have this this kind of like large scale of years. And I also knew that it was going to be multi-genre because each of those characters came to me in a different genre. Mm. So the grandmother came to me in a magical realist mode. She cries all the time for decades until, you know, her whole body kind of gets warped with salt water. Her daughter was just a, a sex worker. It's just like a social realist novel, basically about, you know, her love life and whether she is able to fall in love. And then their son, or her son, the grandson, was always interested in electronics. So I always mm-hmm. knew he was gonna be kind of sci-fi in that way. Mm-hmm. The full sci-fi picture of it, like that it was gonna be like go into robotics and like the future, mm-hmm. I knew by around 2005, because I had a dream about a giant robotic mosquito. Let's talk about those mosquitoes, my friends. Mosquitoes as drones, but throughout the book, mosquitoes are kind of the Greek chorus. So did that happen in that dream, or was that an idea you had had earlier? That's an idea I had last. Really? Yeah, so I had the voice of the mosquitoes. I had this, this interstitial narrator that would come in, comment on the action, give like sort of historical details, talk about etymology and history, but that it belonged to a swarm of mosquitoes only came to me, I think, in like 2015. <laughs> <laughs> was there like a moment? Did you get like bit and you're like, no? Wait. <laughs> I mean, you know, when I go home, it's like it's very much part of your everyday experience. It's also a big part when you go home, you have to get anti-malarial drugs, which cost so much in the states and cost so little at home. And so there's there's this whole back and forth of like, can I can I make it home before you know, I have to take these these drugs? So I do I did have a sense of mosquitoes and what they bring in terms mm. of ideas, in terms of questions of uh, disease and. Mm-hmm you know, just proximity to nature. Absolutely. But actually drawing it into like the space of having a swarm that narrates the novel that came a bit later. I also like that you were kind of like, and I'm not going to get into spoilers here. I saw you doing that thought process. (laughs) We will stay away from spoilers for real. I saw you, I clocked that though real quick. (laughs) But but let me ask though, it does, it's it's fascinating. There's so much research must have gone into this, right? A lot of people will write, especially science fiction or less so historical fiction, but like kind of pulling ideas from their heads. It seems like you obviously had so many ideas in your head, but you also pulled so much from research. How much research went into this novel? A lot. So, you know, I think, you know, the characters came to me first and then what they opened up were these worlds that I then needed to explore to figure out what their contexts Mm. were. And so the characters always led the direction of the research, but 
I did archival research at home. I did interviews at home. Uh, you know, the archival research was mostly about this figure, Edward Mukuka and Coloso, who started a Zambian space program in the 60s. Um, I did research about um, the colonial settlement that begins the novel, which is called The Old Drift. Mm. I did, and then, you know, when I was getting into the sci-fi part, that was actually the most fun for me because I used to be a microbiology major in college. No big deal. So, well, no big no, deal. And then I switched to English <laughs> very fast okay. when I was like, I'm, this is not for me, but, I, but I've always been so interested in mm. immunology, microbiology, so learning about mosquitoes, learning about engineering and learning about robots and drones, learning about HIV AIDS and the vaccine, you know, know, that I like I propose a potential future vaccine for the virus in the novel. That was so much fun for me. Yeah, to be able to dive into those worlds. I do listen, I've got like a few last questions for you and we yeah, can keep yeah, this yeah, all going yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and but I, I I wanna ask, you have it's so much, right? And don't get me wrong. It works, obviously. <laughs> oh, and we're you. gonna get to that in a minute. It is brilliant. Thank is you. there ever a temptation to be like, well, with all these different variants, these multi-genre, could I just like, this could be a book? This could be a book? I could get this advance? I could get there this was advance? A, there was a moment very early on when I thought this was a, a book in three volumes. Mm. It was like a trilogy. Mm -hmm. But the way that the generations work is sort of like a spiral. So it's like the grandmothers are out here and like you don't really know how they're connected. And then the the children, you know, start to get into a, more of a, of a relationship. And then by the end, when you have the grandchildren, you have this like love triangle. So mm -hmm. it's like super tight, but like actually publishing them separately, I think you would lose the kind of connective thread. Mm -hmm. And I've been really interested, a lot of people have said that they read the book like, quickly, mm -hmm. even though it's long and it's dense. It's not a book that you like linger over for a month. It's mm -hmm. a book you read like over three or four days, which I find really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it turns pages. All yeah. right. So <laughs> let's, let's get last question. Luckily, you did not do that because you did put them all in this very readable, very fantastic <laughs> oh, novel. Thank you. You've been getting so much praise. Dwight Garner, like so many rave reviews. What does that feel like? Take a lap is basically what I'm saying. Like, here your fire. How does it feel to be getting this much praise for the book? I mean, incredible. I I I couldn't have dreamed up, you know, uh, a review from Salman Rushdie, whose books inspired my book. You know, I was reading Midnight's Children and the Satanic Verses when I first conceived of this novel. So to have someone like that read my novel and like it, it just, it's been, it's been mind-blowing. I'm still reeling. You're still reeling. Well, congratulations. Thank you it so is all much. so, so deserved. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Namwali. Thank you. Appreciate you coming on. Listen, The Old Drift is available now wherever books are sold. As we always say on this show, buy one for yourself and one for a friend. You will not regret gifting it to somebody else. Up next, we are talking about climate change. Because it's Earth Day. <laughs> In honor of Earth Day, BuzzFeed News just published an article that shows how climate change has already changed the world. BuzzFeed News science reporter Peter Aldis joins me now to discuss. Good morning, Peter. Hi, nice to be with you. Great to have you. Now, this piece has interactive maps to show how climate change has already affected the world. And as a science reporter, how did you feel for the first time when you saw these visuals? Well... As a science reporter, I guess I've been looking at this, the data behind these maps for, you know, a decade or so. So I know what's in them, but when I look at them, I am so struck by firstly just how pretty much the whole planet is warming and has done noticeably since the middle of last century, but also how that is most extreme when you go to the far north. 
Wow, so it's a lot. It's very intense. And you note that the warming is most severe in the Arctic. And what exactly is happening here? Well, so across the planet as a whole, we've warmed by about one degree Celsius. Uh, in science, we tend to do metrics, so I'm doing Celsius. But in the Arctic, it's about twice that. And then the trouble is, if you're in a place that is dominated by ice, that is going to change the environment radically. Uh, and we're seeing some pretty severe events happening, particularly in Alaska this year, where it's been very, very warm. I have had been to Alaska, I've been with my parents, and it's very interesting to me, this topic. And for those of us that don't live in the Arctic or in coastal areas, how is this affecting the rest of the world? Well, climate is an interconnected global system, like the atmosphere and the ocean circulate. So what happens in one place affects other places. Now, if we talk about you know, in the Arctic, there's a lot happening. You know, there are people on snowmobiles falling through frozen rivers and dying. That type of stuff is happening. But if we look elsewhere, that's going to change the amount of uh, heat absorbed from the sun uh, as we lose ice. We absorb more heat. Uh, it changes the whole system. And if we're if you're away from the coasts and you're away from the Arctic, the big thing is probably going to be extremes of weather. So as the world warms, what the models suggest is going to happen is that we will not only get a bit more rain, but we will get it in more extreme bursts. So we're talking about flooding and actually also droughts as well. Both of these things are more likely to occur in a world that's gripped by global warming. Oh, extreme flooding and so many other things. How have scientists been able to connect these disasters like the drought in Cape Town and the heavy rain in Houston in 2017? How has this been connected to human-caused global warming exactly? Yeah, so th this has been, this has been, it's difficult, right? Uh, because, you know, we have weather, it's variable. So the question is, how much of these extremes are due, due to climate change? And one of the ways they do it is essentially they run these climate simulations, these big computer models on the conditions that were just before the event happened. And they do it in today's conditions with the warming we've had, and they can do it sort of subtracting that effect away. And then they run these simulations over and over and, and look at the differences. So it's still hard for many events when not able, science, scientists are not able to definitively say, that's been made worse by climate change. But for some of them, we're starting to see a signal. Now, the, the, the drought in Cape Town in South Africa, which nearly, uh, they nearly ran out of water, scientists estimate that that's three times more likely to have happened because of the warming we've already experienced. And if we look at hurricanes like Hurricane Harvey, uh, which dumped a lot of rain on Houston in 2017, um, there, the, the, the prediction, the calculations are that the rain was heavier, that the hurricane was more powerful, it was able to hold more water and dump more water. The estimates vary, but maybe 20% or so more than it would have done if a similar storm had happened in a world that had not warmed in the way that us has. 
Well, and we see and we hear so many times from scientists to reporters like yourselves telling us about climate change, the inevitable, what's to happen, what's to come. Are any actions and policies being introduced to actually address climate change in any substantial way? At, at various levels, yes. From the, the international level, the, the Paris Agreement, which has, uh, under which various countries have agreed to reduce their emissions. Uh, there's a lot of action at the level of cities. Uh, local government are, are doing things to try and reduce their carbon footprint. Now, in total, is it adequate to, uh, to slow the warming that is going to happen? I mean, we are locked in to a certain amount of climate change. Uh, is it adequate to make uh, the worst of the effects go away? Well, at the moment, no, it's not. Uh, but I think everybody who is working on this problem from a policy perspective is seeing the steps that have been taken so far as the first of further necessary steps that will, will need to be taken as we go forward. Necessary steps indeed. Peter, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks. Uh, glad to be here. All right. We'll be tweeting out his piece. Be sure to check it out. And keep an eye out for more because all week long, BuzzFeed News is publishing stories about climate change so you can be informed. Up next, Isaac and I will be responding to your tweets. Welcome back. Good job, Chantal. Yes. Nice man. show. You know, same to you. I love that interview. It was really good. good man, if you, the old drift, I'll get my copy. I'll give it to I'm you. I'm waiting for it. It's really, really good. Also, just yes. great job with Seth Malton. You, so you know, that yeah. was the aliens question. I feel like he he could have had a little more. Yeah, a little, he, oh, yeah. A little he tried to get a joke it. in yeah, at the end. Yeah, I was like, wow, we're here to go. But yeah, yeah he tried. He tried. <laughs> he Seth tried. He Seth tried. tried. Dacia tweeted this after our interview with Seth Malton. AM to DM, where male political candidates with babies filled questions about work-life balance. Thank you very much. Stasia, thank you for Stasia, noticing. we do what we can, you know? I think that's an important, listen, I feel like every single candidate should be asked that question. Like, yes. how are you gonna do this? Absolutely. How are you gonna be out there with your kids? Especially six, like, six months? Maybe just came out, like, it's fresh. <laughs> the crown hasn't been molded yet, so, yeah. yeah. absolutely. We also wanted to know, uh, sorry, with so much going on over the weekend, how you did, how you celebrated, Jen says, I celebrated this weekend by chilling at home and not seeing anybody and tweeting nobody, and it was beautiful. Jen, God bless. Well done. That's more and more, especially uh, with the news being as crazy as it is, I do find myself trying to stay offline on Absolutely, the weekends. Yeah. What about you? When you were out at your events, when you were doing the Easter Sunday thing, were you online? Or I you? was not online, so I was going to like Instagram story the entire thing, but I was like, no, let me live in this moment. Let me enjoy Easter and let me, you know, just have eat this potluck by myself. Exactly. You know? Did you save any deviled eggs for me? I did not. Not one. I didn't okay, save fair. any for me. So sorry. <laughs> Next time, though. Next time. Next <laughs> time. All right, y'all. We asked, what was the last CD you burned? Princess Slaya says... A love and lust CD, yes. CD I made when I was 17. It had Michael Bublé and Kesha <laughs> on it. So there's that. Wow, the range, the That's balance. a good, well, here's the thing what I would love to see is if people could like find their old burnt yes. CDs, right? Mm. And just share the- Share it. Share the track yeah. list. Did you design the cover of your CD? Oh, Yo, you know I- That artwork, I, listen, you can't tell me anything. What did you draw, like what was your kind of- It was ridiculous. I love patterns and stuff. So I did my DC one. I did like all these different patterns around it, colored it in. You colored it? I also made it for other people. I gave everyone <laughs> customized their own version of art. Like, listen, like I might bring it back. You Did you ever try and win a little love with one? Were you ever like- no, because they need to make me a playlist. Ah! Okay? 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Listen, thank you, of course, to all of our guests today. Jane Litvinenko, Paul McLeod, Ben Smith, Namwali Serpel, Peter Aldis, 2020 presidential candidate Seth Moulton, and Boris Kojo. What a man. Yes. He did so good so on that quiz, though. Yes, that was he, impressive. He did what he had impressive. to do. He yeah. did it. All right, y'all. Sai will be back here with Isaac tomorrow at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day.